which becomes a problem for those who might think I'm having other issues. <sighs> All right. Hopefully we'll get that taken care of. We've been looking at for the past several times we've been here, the Sermon on the Mount. And this particular message is part five of that sermon. As I told you, number one, it's a very lengthy sermon. Jesus certainly has the authority and the ability to communicate all at one time. I don't have that same dynamic. Plus, I also understand that um, it's kind of like the... Uh, the guest speaker who came to preach and asked the pastor, well, how long do I have to preach? He goes, you can preach as long as you want. We're all leaving at noon. And so I could, I could comment on the entire Sermon on the Mount at one time, and I'd be commenting to myself so I understand it. And so I've broken it down. At the end of the sermon, the people who are hearing it are both amazed and comment that he spoke as one having authority, not as like the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, that makes sense because everything that Jesus did, he had authority. He had authority to heal. He had authority to cast out demons. He had authority to make those who were disabled whole again, whether it be unable to speak or unable to hear or unable to walk. He also had the authority to forgive sins. And we will see later in his ministry, he had the authority to lay down his life and pick it up again. And so we look at this sermon and this teaching, not because it agrees with us, but because of the one who said it. You will hear those who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, will frequently say, well, he was a good teacher. Either they never read his teachings or they're lying. Well, that's pretty bold to say. Well, they probably like some of his teachings like the Good Samaritan. That's a nice little story about helping people who aren't able to help themselves. And we all hope that we have that type of ability. However, the people he was giving that story to didn't like the story. And in our culture, we tend to be very much relativistic. There are no absolutes. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. And we'll just have to agree to disagree because everything is relative. Jesus did not speak in relativistic terms. Things were absolute. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. If you want rewards, then do this, don't do that. As we looked last time, he said, when you give to the poor, do it secretly. Because if you do it publicly, you've received your reward. If you pray and you pray publicly and are to be noticed by people, you've received your reward. If you give, if, if you fast and you make it so that everybody knows you're fasting, you've received your reward. 
Jesus says, It is better to receive your reward from the Father by doing what is in secret. He sees that and rewards you. Jesus is going to follow up on this type of do this, don't do that. And so we come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I'm going to stop there because immediately everybody, when you read this, want to say that Jesus isn't talking about acquiring wealth in the sense of to provide for yourself and your family. And they, they go and they spend lots of time talking about Jesus isn't opposed to that. And I agree with them. Jesus isn't opposed to it. As a matter of fact, he condemns the Pharisees for declaring their property korban, which means dedicated to the Lord, which means I can't help out family members or the poor. Jesus condemns that. But the problem is we spend so much time saying what Jesus doesn't say that we don't spend the time to say what Jesus says. And Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Well, my view of when he's saying treasures storing up is kind of like when I think about when I have things in storage. They're not things that I'm using presently. They're things that I don't want to give up. And so I put them in storage because they have some value to me. And as a matter of fact, there's apparently a lot of people who have things in storage that are valuable to them because all you have to do is drive for a couple miles and you'll see all of the places where you can pay lots of money for storage. And I suspect by the time you spend all the money that you pay in rent to hold those things in storage, you could probably buy new stuff. But they're treasures to us. And so we store them up. And Jesus says, don't, store, don't, don't use things for yourself and store them up. And then he gives a reason. Because moth and rust comes, so there are things that fall apart, whether it's clothing or other materials, uh, or they're subject to being stolen. And today, that's even more easy. Because we have all our monies in banks and we, we pay our bills online and do it. And all you got to do is get the password and you ain't got nothing. Because somebody just stole everything in your bank accounts and used all your credit cards and did whatever. And Jesus is saying, no matter how much you may acquire for yourself, it's subject to being lost through unuse or wore out or somebody steals. You've heard me say that when it comes to a funeral, you never see a U-Haul trailer attached to a hearse because you can't take it with you. There is no difference between the richest men and women in the world and the poorest when it comes to burial. Now, they may have a fancier coffin. They may have a more ornate service. But there's a body. And that's it. But it seems that people throughout 
our history, have always wanted to take it with us. You can go back as far as the Egyptians. They would mummify the, the kings and queens and do these things. And then they would place objects of value in the tomb. Everything from boats and, and uh, food and gold. And they would even leave servants there to serve them in the afterlife. Because they wanted the same quality of life in the afterlife as they had here. And so they thought they could take it with them. Even the Romans in burial would place two coins on the eyes of the deceased so that he could pay fare across the River Styx. Everybody was always trying to take it with us. And there's even the, uh, the joke where a man is close to his deathbed. So he calls his pastor, his doctor, and his lawyer together. And he gives them each an envelope of $30,000. And he tells them, when I pass away and when my funeral, before they close the coffin, put the envelope in my coffin. So they all took it. And when a time came that the man passed away in the funeral, they came by and each of them placed the, off, the envelope into the casket. They closed it and they interred the body. And during the celebration and afterlife uh, party, the three got together and, and the, the pastor, generally being an honest man, felt very bad about what he'd done. And he finally admits, he goes, you know, our church is having a building campaign. So I kept $10,000 and put the $20,000 in the casket. The doctor goes, well, since you said that, I, I must admit, I'm trying to build a clinic. So I kept $10,000 back and put the rest in the coffin. The lawyer looked at him and said, I'm disappointed in you too. I wrote a check for the entire $30,000 and place it in the coffin. Okay? But the check is as good to him as the cash was. You can't take it with you. Jesus says, and as a number one, you can't take it with you, but number two, it's subject to being degraded or stolen. But, Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. He tells them, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And he's saying between being rich here or being rich in heaven, which is better to be rich in heaven? Why? Because at best you have 80 Maybe 120 years, you have an eternity in heaven. So where are our priorities? Where is it that we think of? And so often we are so concerned and even anxious for our retirement, our 401k, and what the stock market is doing or not doing, or what we may hold on to. What if we had that amount of concern? for what we were sending on ahead. 
in heaven. Jesus says, instead of storing it up here on earth, store it in heaven. And then he makes a statement, not only is it better to store it in heaven than it is here, because he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, when your treasure's here on earth and you're concerned about your 401k, you look at the 401k, you see what's happening, you, and you get all concerned about up or down markets or how can I invest better? Your heart's there. As opposed to being, my heart is with God and His kingdom, that I might seek first His kingdom and his righteousness. My heart is with the aspect of what God is doing and what God is trying to accomplish. And that is where my heart should be. And so Jesus is saying, here's a test. Are you more concerned about your balance sheet here on earth? Or have you even considered your balance sheet in heaven? All too often I hear people say, well, I just, I just want to get to heaven on the skin of my teeth. Well, you ain't getting to heaven in the skin of your teeth. You only get to heaven based on the blood of Christ. But I'm convinced, because Jesus keeps talking about rewards and keeps talking about treasure and putting treasure in heaven and not here on earth, which means he's saying something of value. The reason that Jesus can speak with such authority is he's the Son of God. He's God. He was there in heaven before he came to earth. He knows how the economy of heaven works. And he's telling us, put your emphasis and your priority on that which is eternal. The problem is, we're very familiar with dollars and cents. We're familiar with the value of a $20 bill is worth more than, the than a penny. And we're very aware of that. How much are we aware of spiritual matters? And sending it on ahead. So Jesus, even in the midst of this message, asked a very cutting question. Where is your heart? Is your heart in the financial or is your heart in the eternal? The next couple of verses I will tell you, I had to think about for a long time. There are times when, when the scriptures will have a verse or two and I'm not quite sure why it's there. It almost seems like it's out of context. Until you think about it and think about it. And I finally have come to the understanding, I think, of the context of this. And so Jesus immediately following up with, don't store your treasures on earth but in heaven. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness... How great is the darkness. Now, what does this have to do with money? 
What does this have to do with things? Well, let's do a little experiment. Please uh, humor me. I want you to do two things. I want you to first close your eyes, and then I want you to put your hands over your eyes. All right? We're all going to do it. We're going to close our eyes, and we're going to put our hands over our eyes. And if you can remember where the lights are, the chandeliers above you, I want you to look up. Okay. Thank you. Did anybody see any light? I don't think so. Because there's darkness within us. And when there's darkness within us, we don't understand what Jesus is doing. It is said that the, the eye is the window to the soul. And you will hear people say, I've looked into their eyes and I know they have a good soul or a good heart. But just as much as it is an eye in, it is a window out. Letting out light, seeing what's there. And Jesus is saying, if you are in darkness, if you're not in light, you can't see what's going on. And Jesus is saying, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, you're in darkness. If you don't see the difference between temporary and eternal treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, then you're like a person who can't see. You're so dark within that you don't know the direction. And Jesus is saying, when your lamp of your body is clear, you can see. And you can see the value of Jesus' teachings. And then Jesus is going to now say to something that's one of those either-ors. You can't do this if you do that. Verse 24 says this. No one. No one. No one. That means not even you. There are no exceptions no one can serve two masters. He didn't say most people can't serve two masters. He didn't say everybody but you can serve two masters. He said no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We have a little more difficulty with this because we're used to being employees. And if I don't like my boss, I can quit. Now, I may suffer the consequences because I won't have a paycheck, but I can quit. No one requires me to be there. But when I am a slave, I don't have an option. My master is my master. And Jesus says, you had a master or you have a master. For you see, we don't like to understand this. But when we are sin, we are slaves to sin. We serve sin. Now, we may have fun doing it. We may enjoy it. We may have a good time. And let's face it, the world's that way. I mean... There are all kinds of 
advertisement that says to grab all the gusto while you can. Enjoy life because now's the time to do it. You can serve that appetite. The problem with that appetite, it never is satisfied. Every single appetite you have requires to be full and full and full. We'll start off with hunger. You'll be hungry, and you'll eat a great meal. Prime rib, baked potato, cream corn, salad, big dessert, stuffed. And then you get home, and you open up the refrigerator because you want some more because you're Tummy is hungry. You want fame. People know who you are. But not enough people know who I am. So I put on Facebook and I put on Twitter and I do all these things and try to get all these different friends. But that's not good enough. I need more friends. Or money. You look at some of the most wealthy people in the world, and they don't stop with their wealth. They continue to accumulate it. Part of it because accumulating it is fun. It's feeding an appetite. As I've said before, we want things. We buy a new car. It's shiny and great. We're hoping for a Porsche. We get it. Drives fast. Looks good. I look cool driving it. And then there comes a time when I don't even want to wash it. Because I'm looking for the next cool thing. Appetite after appetite. You are a slave to your appetites. And if you are a slave to your appetites, then you cannot serve God. And Jesus makes it very clear in the next sentence. He says, you cannot serve God and wealth. He doesn't, again, say, well, you can kind of serve wealth a little bit, and you can kind of, it's, you got one or the other. You either serve God or you serve wealth. But you can't blend them. If you are a disciple of his, you're his. And you do what he says to do. The way he says to do it. I'll give you an, a, an analogy. One which I'm not very good at because I'm not an expert in martial arts. With my current Wait, I even have a difficult time tumbling. But I understand that there are different martial arts and different martial artists, and they come from different regions. In judo or jiu-jitsu, you have Brazilian, and you have Okinawan, and you have Japanese, and you have all kinds of different people who have the original person who started their concept of the martial art. 
and they will do simple things like a hold. And they will tell you specifically how to do this hold. Because that's the way the master, many centuries ago, told you to do this hold. Because you are that, the disciple of that master. And people, when they see you do that hold, if they're familiar with the various forms of the jujitsu or whatever, say, aha, you're a disciple of. How many of us, when we live our lives and we do what Jesus told us to do, people will say, aha, you're a disciple of Jesus. Because that's how he taught to do that. He taught to love your enemy. He taught to put your treasures in heaven, not here. He taught to pray in secret. He taught to give in secret. He taught to do all of these things. And we follow what he does because he's our master. And we are his disciples. And no matter how much we... You know I can improve on that. No, you can't. Oh. But I want a new word. Do the moves he showed us to do. And when you become an expert in those moves, then try for something else. But when you and I love each other as the way Jesus loved, and when we are more concerned with the needs of others than ourselves. When we love our neighbor as ourselves, when we love our enemy, when we are not as concerned about our rights, but the needs of others, then we might be able to move on to a new belt. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. All too often, we think it's good enough to be ambivalent about both. Well, I kind of love Jesus, and I kind of love the world. I kind of want to do what he says, but I want to have all the gusto I can. I don't want to miss anything. One of the advantages of getting old is that you don't feel like you belong anymore. I like to people watch. But I like to watch people less and less because they get more and more depressed. And I'll tell you why. Not that I'm better than them because I'm not. God knows I'm not. But sometimes I feel when I go out to Huntington Beach or Westminster or wherever else in Orange County or L.A., 
I feel like as if I were in Italy. I'm in a different culture with people who have different values. And I, what's odd, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not as young. It would be tough to start all over. I, I guess that's where this world is not my home. Now, in case you think I'm ready to go, I'm not. I enjoy being here, not because of the culture, but I do have a treasure here called Five Grandchildren. And I enjoy being a part of their lives for as long as I can because I didn't have the opportunity to be a part as a grandchild to my grandparents. Both my father's parents died long before I was ever even thought of. My grandfather died when I was three months old. My grandmother, uh, we would go back to Virginia and I would spend some time with her, but a lot of my childhood was she had a form of uh, dementia. And so your grandmother's not really there, it's somebody else. And so God has given me the privilege of, of having some part of my grandchildren's lives. But I also understand, again, about treasures, that there will come a time in each of their lives, not because they're like everybody else. A girlfriend or a boyfriend of two weeks will be more important than granddad, I get it. It's life. It's not that I'm bad. It's not that they are. It's just life. But I do enjoy the opportunities. But like I said, other than that, this world ain't home. So it kind of tells me that my heart, at least, is starting to be more there than here. but because of the one who teaches. I get to spend eternity with him. I get to be in the presence of a God who is holy and loving and kind and merciful. And I get to be with people who he is called to be like him. And that while we may not be like him today, we are his workmanship. And that he will complete in us that we will be just like Jesus. Now, can you imagine going someplace where Jesus is? Now, can you imagine that place where everybody like Jesus is like Jesus? Your heart ought to be there. Because I can tell you, no matter how wonderful this life is, it doesn't stand any comparison 
through that. So let us not be so concerned about what Jesus doesn't say. Oh, he's not saying not to provide for our families, but let's spend more time what he does say. And what he does say is make sure your heart is where it ought to be. If your treasures are there, your heart will be there. If your treasures are here, your heart's going to be here. And you're not going to serve God if your heart's here. That's why I break this message up. It seems like every few verses, it's almost like an invitation. It's almost like a double-checking. What is my life like? Where am I? What, how have I thus far gone? And the wonderful thing is, whether you're 8 or 88, you can move the direction of your heart. It's not like, oh man, you're 88, you screwed up. It's no, no. If you hear the word now, now is the acceptable time. Now is the time to take the hands off the eyes, to keep the eyes open, and let the light of Jesus shine in and give us direction and give us the ability to see. And all God's people said,